Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. My guest is Levi Lassick. He's on YouTube. He's the author of a book called Passive Prospecting. So we're going to talk about uh, all his work on YouTube and his prospecting methods. He has a YouTube channel called Passive Prospecting. So welcome, Levi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Tell me a bit about your background and you know how you ended up doing the work that you're currently doing. Uh, well, it's all by accident, really. So I last five years leading up to 2020, I had a very successful financial services business. I worked with teachers at the local schools and colleges, helped them out with retirement planning. So I had a teacher schedule and, but really about five times a teacher's income. So I was living my best life and uh, working about eight months of the year, making multiple six figures and then traveling the rest of the time, all that time that I had off. So I had summers off and two weeks off for Christmas and Thanksgiving and every four day weekend you could imagine with schools and then 2020 happened and all of a sudden, it, you know, everything shut down. Yeah. And uh, so travel and schools, which was my two main passions in life there, working with teachers and then traveling was just gone overnight. So, you know, at that point, I was just I was curious as far as what was going to happen in the world. I think a lot of us were. We didn't have any understanding of what was next, what was going to happen. Would schools ever open up ever again? Would would life ever go back to normal? And so I just didn't really see an end in sight there. And at the same time, I was just wondering, like, what's my next move? I was 41 years old at that time. And I was also thinking about, well, how do I start over without starting over? Because... Yeah, that's scary to start over as you get older. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and that was just something I was not looking forward to. Plus, you know, I've been in sales for 20 plus years. And uh, I had always been good at sales, mainly because I was good at prospecting. I was always willing to out-prospect everybody else and to, you know, come in a little bit earlier, stay a little bit later, make a few extra phone calls, knock on a few extra doors. So that never scared me. But at the same time, I was just at a point in my life where I was also like, you know what, I'm kind of tired of prospecting and chasing down and felt like sales. I was always starting over the very next day. And and it was, you know, sometimes fun, like to restart the the next month. Uh, but then again, it was, it just happened every month over and over, almost kind of like Groundhog Day. So at this point, I was just going, okay, what's my next move? What am I going to do? And I've got a really good friend, uh, Michael Reese, who you know, I've known for 20 plus years. We actually sold gym memberships together. That was my first sales job at Bally Total Fitness. You know, he wanted me to get into real estate, but I didn't really want to be a real estate agent. You know, I just, I was thinking about um, a stereotypical agent, I guess you could say, probably one that cold calls and door knocks or, you know, passes out business cards at Starbucks. And I was just kind of like, yeah, I don't think that's really me. And I definitely don't want to like start off just pursuing that type of business, trying to get known around town or be the the mayor. Yeah, I just those types of things didn't really interest. So I, I kind of delayed that. 
I, I you know, it was a, an idea, but I, I wasn't motivated to go down that route. But the real estate route or the real estate route, yeah. Why did it seem just like cheesy or salesy in a bad way, or what was the reason? No, no, because I've got really good friends that are real estate agents, but I was just thinking about how they start out, you know, and, 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 uh, like my friend Michael, when he started out, you know, he had this, he wrapped a Hummer with his, you know, put his giant face on the side of a Hummer. You know, it's just, it's, I guess it was the branding aspect that I wasn't looking forward to. I wasn't looking forward to, you know, running around town, shaking hands, kissing babies, kind of like that aspect of it. I was just kind of like, well, you know, I just, I, there's got to be a different way or an alternative, but I also didn't really have any other options, right? I wasn't going to get a job because I had, you know, owned my own business for the last five years now. And once you start your own business, it's, it's very difficult to go back. And, but what else were you going to do? Again, this was in the summer of 2020 when there weren't really a lot of options either. Yeah, I did notice real estate started to grow. And that seemed like probably a good field to work on. Plus with my friend Michael and several others that were in real estate, I thought, well, maybe if I, you know, if I get into real estate, then I have some mentorship, some friends. And and the thing is, is they, they've been in the game for 15, 16, 17 years. So they've gone through all that hard stuff and now they're more on a maintenance phase. And so that's what really kind of scared me was just starting over, going out there, trying to build up a network, trying to build a sphere of influence, trying to generate business, generate leads. That was the part that I just was not excited about. So it just got me to think differently. And I thought, you know what, before I get into real estate, let me see if I can figure out a plan. I think a lot of people, whether it's real estate or any other business, you know, there's a book called like Ready, Fire, Aim. And I think there's something noble and just getting started. But at the same time, there's a reason why when people create a business plan, they tend to have a better structure and have a better understanding of where they're going, even if they haven't gone there before, because they took some time, they did a little research, they created a plan, and it helps them follow along whenever things are a little bit unknown. I got a quick question here. This is probably obvious, but you know, you were in sales, it sounded like working for other people and being in real estate is not only sales, but it's entrepreneurial sales. You have to be both. Maybe that's what kind of uh, made you hesitant at first. Because for a lot of people, it's a big jump. I mean, I had done that for myself for the last five years just through financial services. But yes, before- So the, different for you. Yeah, the previous 15 years, I had sales jobs. Yeah, I was employed by sales companies, but I still had to generate my own business. You know, just like when- Michael and I worked at the gym. I mean, we had to make phone calls all day. The whole goal was to try to get five appointments, five people to come into the gym the very next day. So that would take us six to eight hours of calling a day just to try to get five people to agree to come into the gym to take a tour. So that was how you prospected. Whenever I moved into, the funny thing was, is I used to sell cell phones at Costco. Well, nobody goes to Costco to buy cell phones, right? Not necessarily. So I had to talk to every single person that walked through the front door in hopes to try to find one or two to buy a cell phone that day. And so I would just always try to engage, always pursue. And then from there, I got recruited into a pharmaceutical company. And what did I have to do? I had to I had to figure out doctor schedules. When could I see them? Could, you know, should I take them lunch or do this presentation or squeeze in in between patients? You know, and I was always out running around doing that. Same thing whenever I did it in my own business for working with teachers. I just, again, did it for myself instead of another company. And what did I have to do? I had to outbound market, try to set things up. My goal is to try to get three to five appointments every day. And that took constant pursuit, right? Constant marketing, constant output um, to try to just get three to five appointments. 
a day. So that was just something I just wasn't really looking forward to it, to just starting over again. And that's what I'm saying. And, and then, yes, there is part of the a real estate agent that, and I say that jokingly, right? You know, I just, that's what I kind of picture like, oh, you know, at the Starbucks when somebody says, hey, how are you doing today? And they're like, oh, I'm good. And then they're like, oh, I'm a real estate agent. Here's my card. <laughs> you know, so I was thinking about those types of things. And, uh, but, you know, I know there wasn't much merit to that. I know that people are very professional in the business and, you know, generate business in all their ways. But, you know, my friends that were in the business had been there for 15 to 16, 17 years. So they were well established and, you know, not really going through that prospecting phase. So I was just trying to think, how could I, how could I overcome that that really tough aspect in the beginning, which is where you have to really chase down a lot of opportunity to hopefully find a few people that are willing to work with you, especially as a new agent. So you're, I'm trying to get a feel for your perspective. So you're different because a lot of people may not have done anything like this before, this hardcore sales and prospecting. So they go into it just afraid of the unknown, but you had done the hardcore prospecting. So my guess is you would you were going to go into it thinking, oh no, I'm going back to the grind of prospecting is my guess, right? Exactly. Yes. That's that's what I was not excited about. Yeah, that makes sense. So you found yeah. a better way over time. That's yeah. Being 41 years old just felt like, oh, here I go again. That's what it felt like. And so it just real estate, it could have been any business. It could have been any sales opportunity. I was not looking forward to, you know, trying to just start over again. So so that's what got me thinking. How do how, is there a way to attract business? You know, can I can I get people to reach out to me so I don't have to chase people down, especially people that want to work with me. So it was just asking myself different questions, trying to think differently. And so that's what led me down the path of starting to research. And so that's going back to instead of just jumping into real estate because my friends told me I should, I said, let me see if I can figure out a plan first. And then then I'll decide if I want to get into real estate. So yeah, I just kind of did things a little bit backwards. I think most people jump in and then they try to figure it out from there, which is why you know a lot of people may end up not making it because they never really had a good plan in the first place. So, so that was it. And I knew social media would probably be the play. And I was never really a social media person either. I, you know, being 41 at that time, I was, had that love, hate, yeah, with social media. So I don't know how old you are, but you know, at my age range, well, I'm 48. So there you go. Yeah. So, you know, we didn't grow up with it in high school. It wasn't there in college. It came around in kind of like my late 20s. And I was late adopter and really almost a zero adopter. of. I just I opened up accounts because everybody else did. And so I never really had a strong social presence. I didn't take it seriously. You know, I thought it was people just bragging and posting their lunch and, you know, silly cat videos. So I never looked at it from the producer side. I always looked at it from the consumer side. But I understood at this point, too, I'm like, okay, you know what? Social is very powerful these days. You know, now we see the 20 and 30 year olds come in and make some quick money because of their social presence. So I knew something was there. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. 
And I just didn't know which platform. The other mistake I didn't want to get caught up in was opening up every single social platform. Like I think a lot of people will tell new agents, new people getting into a business or start, hey, make sure you're everywhere, right? Open up Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, you know, get every single social account so you can be everywhere. And I think that's a huge mistake because you end up putting, you know, 15, 20% effort across five different platforms. Yeah, you never really truly understand one. So, you know, if you do one thing and you want to focus, you can spend seven days a week. If you do two, three and a half, three, two and a, you know, so by definition, the more things you do, the more places, the less you could pay attention to each. Right. Exactly. So I didn't want to get caught up in that trap of trying to be everywhere and not really being anywhere because I was never really focused on one thing. So I decided, okay, let me just kind of research each social platform, see if I could find a good fit for me. And Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, I don't know, they just didn't really sit well with me and my personality. I didn't feel like I, I found a good match. And when I started to really look into YouTube and I discovered it was a search engine, not really a social media platform, that made a lot more sense to me. And then I started to think, okay, well, if it's a search engine, and people are actually looking for this information, you know, what if I could create videos around Dallas, Texas, which I was not a professional real estate agent. You know, I just got my license. I never written a contract. I had, you know, never showed a house. And it's like, how do I create credibility online when you haven't done those things? And so when I realized YouTube's a search engine and I thought, you know what? I've been in Dallas for 20 plus years. I know Dallas. I know the areas. I know the neighborhoods, the suburbs. And as I dug in more into the research, I found that's what people were searching on YouTube was neighborhoods and suburbs and things like that. And I thought, well, well, what if I just make videos about the neighborhoods and the suburbs? I don't need to be this rock star real estate agent or anything like that. Let me just make content about the areas. And sure enough, because I made content that people were already searching for, it allowed me to start to grow an audience, you know, quicker rather than later. What was content? What did that mean? You know, in the local neighborhoods and suburbs, what, what did you create that you found people were interested in and got you uh, eyeballs and calls? Yeah, started to do like neighborhood overviews, basically, or neighborhood tours, which was instead of them, you know, because I thought about these online platforms where people search, you know, they look at Zillow, Realtor, these other platforms, and, and anybody can go on there and look at homes, but they can't really, it's hard to really see the home next door, or the home across the street, or the community center, or the playground, or how close is the Chick-fil-A or Chipotle, right? Which, you know, people are, the school, the, what's the closest school? So I just thought, what if we just help paint the picture of the neighborhood? So I just went out, I would show, I like the historic downtown. So if there's a historic downtown, I always like to start out there and say, look, here's what you got in your backyard of this community. Historic downtown, shops, restaurants, neighborhoods, bars. But, you know, I'm going to take you over to some different neighborhoods and show you different price points. So I was thinking about, well, if people are always searching on these online platforms, they're probably looking at price ranges. So I I said, hey, let me take you out. I'll show you. I'll, I'll walk through some neighborhoods that have three hundred, six hundred, and nine hundred thousand dollar homes. Nothing scientific about that. I just was thinking, what are people looking for? Well, I'm assuming they're looking between three hundred to nine hundred thousand, depending on what where they're in. And so I would just go out and walk through communities. I didn't go into houses. I didn't talk to homeowners. Nothing like that. I would just walk down the street and I would I would just talk about what I knew about the area. And that was it. Really, something very simple. Put that together, and that's 
where people started to find value in that. And then they just started to call me and say, hey, we're, we want to move and we would like you to be our agent. What were those calls like, by the way? What did they say? What are some phrases remember? It's nothing like I've ever experienced in 20 plus years of sales. It's a game changer because the thing is, is that people will say, especially in real estate, they'll say, hey, I'm in the relationship business. And that's usually what it takes. You know, if you meet somebody, you've got to build rapport, establish credibility, develop a relationship. They've got to know, like, and trust you for them to possibly do business with you. So what I found out real quickly was that the video built the relationship for me. So when people started to call me, they had already made the decision that they wanted to work with me. I would answer the phone and they would, first of all, they were surprised it was me. They were like, oh, this is Levi from the videos. They're like, hey. Yeah, that is unusual. A lot of content creators that have no way to contact them. It makes, I don't get it. Yeah. Like some of them will do eBooks or things like that, but some of them, there's no way to contact them. It's crazy. And you know that being in the field in, in real estate, we are going to meet our audience. At least that's the whole goal. And that's how we're able to monetize very quickly. We're not, I'm not, I'm not going for views or ads revenue from YouTube. I'm going for phone calls. And so when people were calling and they were shocked, I answered the phone. They were surprised and happy. And they were like, oh, I can't. I love your videos. I love that's what they would say over. You know, if you go look at our Google profile, all of our reviews, you know, most of them say we found Levi's videos on YouTube. They were very helpful. And that's why, you know, and so that's how they start off. And so they already knew, like, and trusted me. They already felt like they knew me from the videos. So as long as I wasn't a jerk, you know, I, I would solidify that relationship on the phone. And then they came in and started buying homes left and right. That's cool. I mean, if you would, as part of the I Survive Business podcast, I do want to hear about not failures that you know, that crushed you, but the challenges along the way, because I think it'll be instructive for listeners to hear the tough spots. So, I mean, this sounds like a big success, but what were some of the missteps you made and had you recover? Well, I would say that would be in the first half of my life. So the last three years in real estate have been a very solid run, but I think that's been a culmination of the last 20 years of those setbacks and challenges. Uh, first of all, I was in the military. I, I got into the military to get out of the the town I grew up in. I grew up in a small country town, a couple hours south of Dallas. And, you know, my parents didn't go to college. My two older brothers didn't go to college. And so I was really raised the fact that, I mean, we were raised uh, with the poor mindset, you know, can't afford this, can't afford that. We'll never be able to afford college. Nobody goes to the, nobody goes to college. So, you, you know, my parents didn't even know about scholarships or financial aid or anything. They just, they just would always say, we can't afford college, so you're not going to go. So that's what I believed. And then uh, after a year after high school, school of working labor jobs, I was like, I, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. So I joined the military to get money for college because I thought that'd be my way out. And then, you know, a couple of years later, September 11th happened. That was 1999. September 11th happened. And then a couple of years after that, I got deployed. So, you know, I spent a year uh, over in Iraq in 2005 and I was in the infantry and that was not best time to be there. I'll say that. So when you live a year in a combat zone, running gun trucks and combat patrols and things like that, you know, we had a, some hairy situations. And I was fortunate to make it out of there, but you know, it messes with you for a little while. And that was some things I had to overcome on mindset and, you know, mental stability, you could say just for a little while, but to come back from that and overcome it's, I would, I can look back now and say, that's one of my best accomplishments, but the yeah, time, that's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. The time I was there was extremely stressful and challenging. How does it translate to your businesses? Once you get out of the military, what positive things did you take from it? You saw you put together? 
use in your later careers? Well, perspective. I think perspective is a, a big one because if you haven't been in a worn, torn third world country, it really does put uh, perspective on things, right? And so I, what I saw in Iraq, you know, walking down the streets was, you know, there's no garbage control, simple things, things that we take for granted. There's nobody, there's no garbage trucks coming by to pick up garbage. Like people would just take their stuff and throw it out in the alleyway behind their house and it just would start to pile up. And then there's no animal control. So then there's packs of wild dogs, like 20 or 30 wild dogs roaming the streets, rummaging through all the trash. And you've got to be careful of that because they'll be, they get aggressive or they might come after you. And just, you know, seeing people's homes built from center blocks with no mud, no cement, just literally center blocks stacked up. Some of their walls made out of paint cans, like just stacked paint cans and palm leaves as their root. So you just see some of the poorest of the poor conditions and it makes you realize, yeah, okay, things aren't so bad over here, right? I can probably, if I can make it through that, then I should be able to make it through anything. But actually the worst part was I came home from there with a digestive disease and that messed with me for about eight years until 2013. And then I ended up losing 50 pounds in a single month. And that I became, yeah, completely bedridden and disabled. And I was only 33 years old at that time. And that's something else where I learned, you know, again, not taking things for granted. I mean, at 33 years old, I never would have expected to become disabled or bedridden. And, you know, I played high school football, of course, being in the military, I've been in shape my whole life. And all of a sudden, I'm just disabled, you know, and at that time I had a job and I had to go on medical leave. And after 90 days, they wanted me to come back to work, but I wasn't physically able to do that. And I lost that job, you know? And so that's whenever I learned, man, I don't know, I'll never have a job again, probably because I'll never know how this condition will be. And, and, uh, medical doctors told me I would have it the rest of my life. They told me I'd be on medication the rest of my life and it was incurable and they were, you know, going to do surgery and remove organs and all kinds of crazy stuff. And then, yeah, it was really, uh, you know, God's grace. I found a natural doctor and the, the, and I never even considered like a natural path or any, I never even thought of that, but somebody just said, Hey, maybe you should give it a try after seeing four different GI doctors. And the natural doctor was like, yeah, let's just change your diet and put you on some vitamins. And I was like, wait, what? And sure enough, uh, within about three weeks, I started to get better and it ended up taking me a full year to recover, but I was able to recover with uh, no medication, no surgery. And, you know, that's been 10 years now that I haven't had a single sign or symptom of that disease, uh, especially that doctors told me I would have the rest of my life. And they told me I'd be on medication the rest of my life. So, you know, to overcome that was, I think, a significant challenge in my life. And again, that that was kind of like starting over again. Do you tell these stories commonly or, or rarely like no one asks or you don't use it in your, your marketing? You know, it just shows that you're, you're real tough and you've come back from incredible hardships and your knowledge is not just going to be fluff BS. It's uh, hard earned what I see. Yeah, thanks. I mean, it, yeah, it depends on the time, you know, it depends on the, the the form of questioning. So some, you know, I speak a lot of places. Sometimes there's, you know, if you speak, sometimes you only get 15, 20 minutes, just depends on the, the time frame or the, the what it is. But and it's probably one of the things I'm, I kind of regret about the book. I didn't really put my, my personal story or all of that backstory in the book. The book was really, I just wrote it to be very practical and tactical, you know, just because I think 
I, I wanted something that people could just pick up and, and put into action almost immediately, I guess, without that. But if I could go back, I would include it in there. But otherwise, yeah, if I get on, depending on the length of a podcast or how people ask questions, you know, then I'll uncover that stuff. But yeah, it's it's a lot. But sometimes, I, you know, and I have pictures that I documented, not really documented, I took a couple of pictures. And so, you know, if you didn't see some of those, it would be hard to believe, but especially the weight loss. I mean, being 50 pounds less than I am now, it was the hardest things to ever go through. Well, if you could do all that, I guess, uh, developing a new prospecting, it wasn't uh, hopefully as hard. So let's let's go into that. So you started doing these videos yeah. and you started getting called. What else did you do or what else did you have to do? Did attention just keep ramping from there? Like what, what was it? that like yeah well i had to change mindset on a lot of things you know and i think you know growing up i still had pieces of my parents you know i love my parents but at the same time, they were, I would say, always had limited mindset. And I think a part of that was just instilled in me, you know, growing up. And so the other thing, one of my things my parents would say was, you know, if you want things done right, you got to do it yourself. And so, you know, for the last 20 years up till 2020, I had been like a solo sales guy, a solo preneur. And I always felt like it was easier for me to just do something and get it done and get it out of the way. And, and but I realized, you know, like after getting deployed, after getting sick, after losing everything again in 2020, I had nothing to show for it because I never built a team. I never built system. I never built a process. It was if I, what I realized is that I keep getting taken out of the picture. And whenever that happens, my income and my business would stop. So it was part of that mindset to say, okay, I've got to, I've got to grow or expand quickly this time. I've got to, I've got to put my trust and faith into other people. As soon as I get the income, instead of just paying myself more money, I need to bring on somebody to outsource something where I need to bring on a VA or, you know, somebody to help out with this or that. And so this time was just a complete different mindset and plan of action. And so that's what I did. I said, okay, how do I just pay myself the least amount of money possible and use everything else to reinvest back into the business and back into people? And so I started to hire people as quickly as I could, just so I could start grow and build from there. And that's that's really a big part of extremely fast growth over the last three years was that yeah, I just looked at the last 20 years. I think, you know, 2020 a lot as much as that it sucked, you know, during the summer, it also allowed time to sit back and reflect and think, okay, what do I need to do differently this time? What what have I been doing that hasn't worked so far? How did you overcome? I mean, you said you were brought up to do it yourself and all that. So for you, that's you know, that's not easy. And I'm sure a lot of other people are told the same thing. How did you break out of that mindset of you have to do everything, don't hire people, you know, that kind of stuff? You know, I, I think it's just taking, it's just doing it. I would suppose, I, I don't know if I really thought, I just realized that was a problem before. And I just said, okay, I'm going to hire somebody to do this part of the business. I'm going to hire somebody to do this. And I just started to do it. So now working with that or managing people, of course, leadership responsibility, that's a whole nother ball game. I think that's something we're always learning. And now I'm constantly checking in with, in with the team. Now I'm always asking the team, hey, how are you at capacity? You know, do we need to offload something? Do we need to bring somebody else on? And so now I keep those discussions open with them because I don't want 
them getting overworked and burnout. And if it's time to pass on a position or, you know, some responsibilities to someone else, then I'm quick to say, okay, well, let's, let's hire for that position so we can offload that because now creating a very, you know, such a good team that I want them working on the highest leveraged activities as possible. So if they're doing some administrative things or, you know, things on a routine that, don't really require their creativity or their special touch. It's like, okay, well, let's offload that to somebody else. And so it's just a matter of uh, just doing it from that standpoint. I just I just realized, uh, hey, I'm in the same place that I've been a couple of times already over the last 20 years, and I don't want to repeat this cycle for the next 20 years. So let's do things differently. You know, I don't want to ask you to reveal everything, but what can you say about the passive prospecting method? What are some other elements to it that you know, make it work for you? Well, this is where I, I really started to understand true leverage because, you know, creating a video, this is something else is that I was always dependent upon myself to do the prospect. And now once I started to create videos, I started to realize that they were prospecting for me. So it wasn't me like saying, okay, I've got to make two hours of phone calls a day or three hours of phone. That's what I had to do previously, right? I had to- It was six hours, you said. Six hours on, yeah. With gym memberships, it was all day. Whenever I sold cell phones, I had to talk to everybody that came through the door unless I was actually selling a phone, you know? And then I didn't, you know, of course I had to go through that process. But as soon as I finished, I would go right back on the floor and talk to everybody. Same thing with, you know, working with teachers. I had to email. That was all done through email marketing. But we had to do it individually because we couldn't email schools, you couldn't mass market to schools. So I had to go in, find individual teachers' emails and email them individually. And, you know, that's all part of a process. So, you know, here it was just a matter of, of saying, okay, I've, I've got to do things differently. So passive prospecting, when I started to create the videos and the phone calls started coming in and I had never actively outbound or reached out to somebody, that's what changed the perspective. That's what made me realize, oh, videos are working for me. But then I started to get emails and text messages whenever I was sleeping. I would wake up and I would have an email of somebody saying, hey, I'm watching your video right now and it'd be midnight or 1 a.m. And I would have this email that would say, hey, you know, I'm sure you're asleep, but whenever you wake up, you know, could you give me a call? And then, of course, people would just call during the day or text or, you know, hey, I'm watching your videos. I would love to talk to you about making a move. And so, and then, YouTube has this answer. How did that feel? That must have been so cool. You'd be like, what oh, yeah. the? It was awesome, I mean, right? It's a game changer. I mean, it was something I've never experienced before. But then there's an analytic in the back end of YouTube that they track called watch hours. Like how many hours people have watched a video or the channel as a whole. And what I started to see was I was like, oh, well, look, our channel was watched 1,500 hours yesterday. Well, if you divide that by 24 hours in a day, that's equivalent to 63 days. So I, I was like, wait a second. If people are watching the channel, for 1500 hours in one day and that's equivalent to 63 days that's like 63 days worth of prospecting in one day more than that because yeah. people are watching from the safety of their home they're not being sold anything there's no pressure to make a decision so they can be calm and just take in the, the information not you know they make the move to contact you which is nice yeah but i was basing it off of i was looking at that time frame as what is it saving me like i'm i don't have to be on the phone for two three or four hours every day to try to generate business. I'm actually making a video. For example, one video took me 30 minutes to make, but now it's been watched over 12,000 hours. Yeah, it multiplies your efforts. You do one yeah. video and it can get you 
multiple deals. It's probably impossible, but is there a video that just seemed to bring tons of people to you? Or was it just a slow accumulation of this? Or was there one, a certain topic for some reason that just popped and everyone wanted to talk to you? Uh, no, but, you know, anytime I ask somebody, hey, which, which video, you know, would triggered you? I mean, they always just said, I don't know. I like all your videos. Or they'll say, I binged watched 20 of your videos. Yeah. So it's like, okay. Yeah. So I kind of stopped asking that question because nobody ever really said, oh, man, you're, I mean, a couple of people did say, hey, that video you made on this neighborhood is why I'm calling you. So sometimes there were specific neighborhoods I did that triggered that. Yeah. Most of the time, people would just say, I don't know. I love all your videos. Videos and but I want to move to Frisco, you know, and therefore I knew they were, you know, really watching the Frisco videos. Now, most of our phone calls come in, you know, people asking about Frisco and the surrounding areas in North Dallas. So, so I know those are the money makers, but the neighborhood tours they like. I mean, we get a ton of comments on uh, other styles of videos. So I just, and but now I adapt videos to also what I believe the audience wants to see based on my conversations, based on clients that we're doing business with, based on the comments. You know, when all those things start happening, it allows you to really get a good understanding of, you know, what type of videos you should make. Very cool. So what does it look like today for you? What does your system look like and your channel and everything? You know, how long have you been doing this particular activity? And again, what has it grown into today? Yeah, well, this is, we're just over three years now. And it's, uh, you know, we're about to break 30,000 subscribers on the channel, on the YouTube channel. But in the first year, we only had about 7,000 subscribers and, and made over a million in commissions that first year. So that's so cool. Yeah. In total, over the last three years, we've done about 5.3 million in real estate commissions from the channel. Uh, over the last three years. So it's definitely compounded and grown. Uh, that's about 385 homes we've sold in the last three years based on the channel. So a little over 100 a year, like 130 a year. What's the average production of of most real estate agents a year. Six homes, maybe? I think it was one from what I heard. The average realtor sells like one or one and a half homes a year or something. Yeah, it, it's probably even worse than that. Yeah, I'm probably being generous with the sit. So, so you're doing a little bit better than most. A little bit, yeah, a little bit better. So, That's great. That's amazing to see the power of that method. You know? Yeah, and this applies to any business. I mean, I know business owners. I know plumbers. Like I know a plumber who's here in Dallas actually has over 600,000 subscribers and he makes videos about leaky toilets and leaky faucets. But you know what? When my pipe busted in my backyard and I had to get that fixed, you know, who did I call? I called the plumber on YouTube that I knew and watched his content. Guess what? You know, he doesn't mind making videos about how to fix your faucet and your toilet at home because my repair was $7,000. So he knows if I help you with the small stuff, when the big stuff happens, then you're going to call him. I mean, if you're if you're an electrician, if you're a contractor, if you're a financial advisor, it doesn't matter. If you start providing value, creating content on YouTube, and you have a call to action, you have a way for people to do business with you off platform, you can turn this into a significant, you know, prospecting platform platform for you that works for you, not just 24 seven, but this really does compound your time because again, having your channel watched 1500 hours in one day is really a compound return of your time that you're multiplying your time by no other way possible. You would have to have 30 people, maybe more like making phone calls eight hours a day to even come close to matching that. And here we're able to do that through the power of video. And I only spend a couple hours a week, if that, making videos. So it's actually the least amount of time I spend in my business to make that content, but it gives me the biggest return. 
What are, you know, some tips in the video making? Like what works and what doesn't? Where do you see other content creators go wrong? Yeah, I mean, these are, I mean, all these questions are really episodes in themselves. I could say that's, uh, you know, if I gave you the the quick pick, I, it's just kind of knowing your information. So I would, if as long as you're an expert at what you do, I think anybody can talk on a particular subject for two to three minutes. And if I make a 15 minute video, what I want you to realize is that I'm not sitting down trying to talk for 15 15 minutes straight. As long as I have a few bullet points and I can look over and I can read one bullet point and I can talk for two to three minutes, I can make really a 15 minute video is a series of five, three minute videos just edited together. So thing is, is that it's a lot easier than you think. And as long as you, you know, if I have five bullet points on something I want to talk about in Dallas related to real estate, I just have to be able to talk about each item for two to three minutes. And if you're, you know, really good at what you do, if you're an expert in your field, you should be able to do that. So it doesn't matter if you're, uh, you know, if you're a plumber and you're like, I want to talk to you today about the five best fixtures, you know, for your kitchen sink. Okay. Well, as long as I can speak two to three minutes about each of those fixtures, all of that will get edited together. It doesn't matter if I stop. It doesn't matter if I look down at my notes. It doesn't matter if I stretch. I could take a drink of water. All that stuff, it gets edited out. It gets cut out and then it just gets fused together and you have a 15 minute video. And so, you know, I think the process is easier than most people think, but you do have to just get into motions and, you know, start creating, get a video edited, and that helps you start to under the, understand the process. And then it's just muscle memory after that. It's just once you do it plenty of times, then you'll develop a habit with creating videos and it'll be much easier. Like I've done this uh, almost 4,000 times. Oh, wow. Yeah, the podcast. So who is the audience of your channel today? Is it individual people that want to buy and sell homes or are you doing uh, course creation now? Like how is it changed? No, the main channel, yes. The real estate channel is for people that want to buy and sell homes. We created a separate channel because we do help real estate agents and business owners do this in their business as well, but it's a different audience. So that's why I wouldn't put those two together in the same channel. It would just confuse the audience. And I don't really want real estate clients knowing that we've been able to develop a coaching company out of success on on YouTube necessarily. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just prefer to keep both of those businesses separate. Makes sense. Yeah. So it's a separate channel. It's a separate business, you know, separate branding, of course, all of that. But we've been able to help a lot of people do this as well. Very cool. So for the listeners that are inspired, where can they go to start getting help from you? Like what's the name of the channel? If they want to build up their own you know, prospecting business, where can they go? Yeah, they can just go to book.passiveprospecting.com and you can get a copy of the book there. I think only $2.95, $2.95. I mean, you can go on Amazon, but it's $19.97 on Amazon. So we offer it there for $2.95. We have an Audible. It's on Audible as well, Passive Prospects. Nice. And I would just say, yeah, get the Audible or get the book for, you know, 20 bucks. I mean, that's the cheapest way you can get the breakdown on it. And the book is called Passive Prospecting. And so, you know, from there, if there's any additional help that anybody needs, then we have ways that they can reach out, of course. But otherwise, that's a it's a great starting point is the book. All right. Excellent. Well, Levi, it's been a good call. It's really cool to hear your story and your determination and all that. And uh, I encourage listeners to check out uh, both of your channels. Let's restate the name of both uh, depending on what their need is. Yeah. Our real estate channel for home buyers and sellers is living in Dallas, Texas. And so if you search that on YouTube, it should pop up. And then you know our entrepreneur business owner facing channel is called Passive Prospecting on Tube. So if you search Passive Prospecting on YouTube, you'll, you should find that channel too. Excellent. Well, Levi, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and talking about all this. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.
You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.